So I am going to introduce you to our juvenile court judge in Paulding County, uh, Judge Sandra Miller. So give her a hand, please. Thank you. She is retiring in 42 days, which is horrible for us because we love her and we appreciate all that she does. Uh, she is such a beautiful advocate for children in the system. And we know that when we have Paulding County kids, that the judge is going to be um, loving and fair and um, advocating for what's best for them. Um, and challenging to their caseworkers to make sure they have their ducks in a row. I appreciate that about you so much. Um, and so we asked her to come today uh, just to share a little bit about her heart and tell kind of how it works in the system and some things she's seen and just a, maybe a, a challenge for us as a community and plugging in and making a difference. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are? All right. Um, and I brought notes, but I never look at them. So I may flip around just to see that I hit all the high points, but um, I am, um, like you said, 42 days away from retirement. I was appointed to this position in 2002. Prior to that, I was the attorney for the Department of Family and Children's Services. Now, that was a tough job, but um, that's what I, my career took that path, and how lucky am I that it did. The day that I was interviewed for this position as a juvenile court judge of Pauling County, the circuit had split. We were a three-county circuit, and Pauling had grown so that we became our own circuit. So I was literally the first juvenile court judge for Pauling County. Prior to that, we had a judge for three counties. And, you know, government and God are supposed to be separate and apart. Well, in my interview with um, Judge Bill Foster, I told him that this is where God wants me to be. This is the position that he has led me to. And while you don't, like I said, you don't really need to bring that up on most interviews, but I felt like this was my purpose in life, and it has been. And now I think golf is going to be my next purpose <laughs> in life. In 42 days, but but I intend to continue to work with the foster care community and our counties um, as we as we grow. Can you tell us a little bit about Paulding in regards to foster care and kind of what you do there and how many cases you guys see, things like okay. that? A lot of times, people in the community will say, "Defects took my children." Well, that's an incorrect statement. Judge Miller took those children into care. The only person that can remove a child from a, the, um, from a home is a, a police officer because there is an emergency and a need for an emergency removal. But the police officer can't even put the child with the, the Department of Family and Children's Services. The judge has to do that. So that's what I do. I'm, since 2002, I've been on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but they don't call me that often. But... Um, um, and so I am the one who has removed all of the children that are, have been placed in your care if you have a, foster, a Paulding County foster care child. Before the, a removal can take place, the case manager has to staff the case with their supervisor. The director has to get permission. Then the attorney for the department has to call me. So it's vetted several times. And then I'm the one who makes that final decision. Is there such imminent danger that these children need to be removed from their home? 
Um, after that, I'm the one that conducts the hearings. We have emergency hearings within 72 hours of the removal. Then, I, um, then we have an evidentiary hearing within 10 days. And then every 90 months, every, yeah, no, every three months, 90 days, I see this family until they either find a forever home or they go back home to their biological family. And sometimes when um, it doesn't work out, we um, have to file a termination to um, petition to terminate criminal rights. It's the saddest thing that you'll ever experience, but it's often necessary. So. And you may or may not know, the Waylands um, adopted two of their foster children they were talking about through Paulding um, because of the kids' parental rights, the terminating parental rights for those kids. So we celebrated it um, in December, I guess, or the beginning of January. And um, so, yeah, they're about to sign that their next little girl is um, from, I think, Douglas. She's not from Paulding. But that TPR has happened, and they're going to be going in front of the uh, judge for the final deal in June for them. I don't get to do the good part, the adoption. I only get to do the bad part, and that's the severing of the parental rights. But I get to go upstairs to watch the adoptions quite often. So so can you share with us, like, um, some of us are addicted to the show Intervention. That might be me and maybe other people that do this. But um, we're very uh, – can you tell us what kind of cases you're seeing? Yes. Like, do you have any stories to tell? Yes. I, um, I see the worst of the worst. In fact, I was um, at a meeting – the Boys and Girls Club had an annual meeting and I was there and they were talking about, you know, what they see when they, <clears throat> when they think about boys and girls. And I said, well, when I think about girls, I think about fights at school. I do also delinquency work. Fights at school and sex trafficking. Now, what a, what a warped sense of thinking I have. And when I see boys, I see boys that get into hijinks and then boys that don't make good decisions. When I see foster care children, children that have come into foster care, I see them because they have been abused physically, broken arms, twisted arms, um, fractures throughout their body, burns, and severe abuse because of the opioid uh, crisis that we have. So we have families that um, don't know how to parent, families that don't put children first, and families that are just truly dysfunctional. Um, one of, the, um, one of the things that we, I do when I see the cases every nine months is that I try to, to gauge the progress of the parents and whether or not these children are ever going to be ready to go home. So um, that's what I see for the most part. The opioid or families that are on drugs, those are difficult cases because they're not always ready to give up the drug. And so there's a, the case stalls out. And we have to, and I say to them, I'm pretty rough on the bench. I say to them, if you want your children back, go now. Leave this courtroom and go now and go into residential treatment. Because without residential treatment, you're never going to get your children back. And they're waiting for you. They are waiting for you. So. All right. So what do you believe is our community's biggest need in regards to this foster care crisis? We have two. Uh, first is we need foster parents. Now, you said that we have some foster parents that don't have children. So we need some foster parents that will take the kind of children that we have brought into care. They're not all babies. They're not all sweet. They have mental health issues. They've been sexually abused. They've lived in dysfunction. They have um, special needs. 
So we need families that will take the tough cases. And if your heart is not in taking children into your home, then maybe take a family that you know, your friend who is doing it, and support them. Just like the meals, the, um, you know, sit with the kids, sit with the other kids while foster mom takes a child to the doctor. Because, you know, there's nothing like going to the doctor or the, the grocery store with five kids following you around. I can't imagine. I only have puppies, so I can't, I don't have to take them anywhere. So I can't imagine, you know, support your families. Be a foster parent and support your families. Can you tell us any success stories that you've seen? Yes, now this is not going to sound like a success at first, but bear with me. A young man, he was about 13 years old when I saw him. When he was young, he was in foster care and he was adopted. And at the age 13, his adoptive family could no longer meet his needs and brought him back to the Department of Family and Children's Services to, quote, turn him in. I'm sorry, but we don't have a return policy on children, but that's what they did. And they left him there and came to court once or twice and then stopped coming. They did not want to be in this child's life anymore. Most of our teenagers are putting groups home. So if you have a heart for teenagers, please open up a foster home for teenagers. Group homes for teenagers, that's not the way you're supposed to grow up. All right, back to Larry. All right, so... Larry goes from place to place to place to place. And then one day he meets someone he connects with. We all have to make a connection. And now he's living. He's 18. He's still in foster care. But he's living with his forever home, his, his forever family. This gentleman welcomed him into his home. He's now working in the family business. He has grandmama and a granddad. He's got siblings. It's, it's a, a true success. But, you know, he waited. it was until 18 before he found his forever home. So you just never give up. Never give up. And then there, I'll tell you about another one. This is not a success yet, but it's going to be a success. Two little girls came into my courtroom. When I say little, I'm talking about, you know, 10 and 12. And they wanted to speak to the judge. So took them back into the chambers, and we talked. And they said, what's taking so long? We've been in foster care for two years. We're done. We want this over with. We want a forever family. So that's going to be a success because I went outside, to went back on the bench and said, get this done. I'll review this case in June. I want the termination of parental rights filed. Well, there's five children and we can't find a place. I don't care how many children there are. Get it done. That's your job. So it's going to be a success. Is there anything um, you could share with Vintage about how maybe a church community, and we did a little bit, but um, how you either see us making a difference in the community or how we could make a difference? Well, in the foster care, if you'll notice it right there in the um, slide that's up, it says, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Well, that's exactly what I wrote in my little presentation when I was thinking about what we can do. If you can't bring a child into your home, do something else. But every one of us can do something for a child. We had a family that um, adopted um, several children, and one of the children wanted her adoption to be like a, um, she wanted to be a princess. And so they all dressed in long dresses, and it was like going to a ball. So they all dressed in long dresses, and they came from Gwinnett County to Paulding County, and they had a van. And on the side of the van, while this may not exactly be in in the correct context, 
they had this, this um, Matthew 18, 5. And whoever welcomes the little child in my name welcomes me. This is what it's about. Little children that grow up to be teenagers that need homes. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, it's been cool with uh, with Judge Miller. We went from uh, just being working together to um, well, actually, to just recognizing her, calling her Judge Miller, to then feeling free to call her Sandra along the way. Till we became friends, started calling her Sandy, and so it's been a really neat thing for us to get to uh, to, to be with Judge Miller and. Uh, not only just to watch her work, but to uh, partner with her in some of the things that we're doing. And um, and I, I will say that we are um, excited for your golf game, but we are not excited about losing you at your job. And um, and we are praying that someone will come in who is if who can. No one can fill your shoes, but do their best to try to. So uh, thank you, Judge Miller. Well, today uh, we are um, talking about foster care. And this is really the last Sunday we get to talk about it because next week is Memorial Day picnic. And, and so this morning we did want to focus on this because it's one of those things. I was looking back at my notes. Actually, last night I was going through some of my old notebooks and clearing, clearing some things out. And, and, I, and I looked back and saw the very first meeting that I ever attended where someone brought to vintage the idea of foster care. Uh, and I remember, and I remember that, I remember that meeting, because I remember we, that was like this moment for us, and, and for me specifically, of recognizing the call that God had on our life as vintage, at vintage for, for foster care. And so, looking forward, then of March 13th of 2000, 2013, I stood up here during the season of Lent, uh, during the Easter holiday, during the Easter season, and I said, y'all, God is calling Vintage to be a part of the answer to the foster care crisis in the state of Georgia, but specifically in in our community. And I remember asking this question that morning, why do we feel, why do we, and this is we, so I'm talking about this is the proverbial we, we, you are the we, okay? So why do we feel so compelled to work with children in foster care? And the answer was twofold. One, it was a calling from Jesus, right? That's part of the thing for Randall and I. It's like I, we, when we moved here to plant this church, we literally prayed and said, God, we can't believe you didn't call us to a third world country, to an unreached people group. Therefore, if you've called us here, then we're asking that you would give us an unreached people group. And when we heard this, this, this call to foster care, it was a real clear, like this is the answer to the prayer that you prayed. So there was that authentic and legitimate call that God gave us. And the second part was a conviction of Scripture. We're going to look at a little bit deeper here in a second. But this morning, nothing for us has changed. At Vintage, we are going after foster care. We want to be part of the answer for the foster care crisis in Georgia. I mean, when we tell our story at Vintage, honestly, it's one that we celebrate. We have right now 10 families who are, who are approved for foster. We've had more than that over the, over the years, and some of them have left Vintage and gone other places, right, and taken that call to foster care where they've gone. I don't know. How, how many children have we served? Do you have any idea how many children we've served? Since, 
last year was 22. I'm guessing we've probably uh, over 50, 60 children that we've affected here at Vintage with foster care. And the beautiful piece about that is we have our foster families, right? We have those who come alongside and just brought meals, who who babysat, who said, let me give you a, just let me give you a free morning so you can just breathe, right? It's been amazing to see all the major things and all the small things that people have done. And the reality for God, like they're all big, right? They're all ultra important. And so we celebrate those things this morning. We're excited about all that God is doing. And we're excited about this possibility we have that saying, listen, we've done great things, but there's a level, right, of, of looking forward and saying, but we can do so much more. And so I want you to recognize as we look at the call that God has, we haven't arrived, right? There are still children in need. There are still families in crisis. And so we say, God, we we thank you for what you've let us do so far. But God, would you give us grace to continue to do more and to have a greater a greater impact with that? The conviction of Scripture then is always speaking to us about God's heart. So we had this unique call, these things we've done. But I wanted to state this morning that, that the, the call of Scripture and the conviction of Scripture has never waned. It's never gone away and it's still present this morning. We looked at one of those verses this morning up here on the screen. It was Isaiah 1, 17. It says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. James 1, 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so as we were here this morning, there's a strong biblical conviction. And we have a unique call to answer the foster crisis. And I am in that moment, right, of seeing, all right, God, there's a call. But also looking and saying, God, there is a unique biblical conviction. Isn't it great when we read through Scripture and we are, we are stopped in a moment by the truth of what it says? Whether it says, whether it says Jesus Christ is the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else comes to the Father except through me. We stop in that moment and we go, wow, that, Im- that impacts the entire world. No one in the world comes to God except through Jesus. That's convicting. When Jesus comes and I and the Father are one, we go, wow, Jesus is God. Therefore, what he says has validity and power to it. Or when scripture comes and says this, man, this is true religion to care for children in need. That should make it. And it goes on to talk about widows, right? Because in, you know, in Israel, in Israelite times, in that time of Jesus, the, the most forgotten, the most oppressed, the most left behind were specifically, right, foreigners who didn't have a home, right, immigrants. It was children who didn't have homes, orphans, and it was widows who had no place in culture. And so for us, we look at it and go, all right, God, there's this great biblical conviction. And I can read it and think about somebody else, or I can read it, God, and recognize that's the call that you have on the church as a whole. And so when we stop, then we must be stopped by conviction. And we must be aware of calling that we have that we have. And what that should do is then lead us back to Acts chapter one. We've been talking about the, the movement of God's spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting in Acts chapter one, we looked at this last, last several of the weeks. It says this. 
Verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And, I just put the capital and in here, right? You will be my witnesses. And so what I want to say this morning as we get in is that when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we recognize, we said, Jesus sent us his Spirit to enable us and empower us to do all the things that Jesus did. And so we can think about that in the context, yes, of, yeah, we get to do miracles and healings, and that's all great stuff. But, but I'll be honest, the thing we talked about was that, man, God will empower us to show compassion to those that's in, difficult to show compassion for. God gives us grace. He gives us his power to express humility. God gives us grace. He gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to do the things he's called us to do and to express to others the fruit of the Spirit, right? To, to love those who is difficult to love. And so this morning, as we talk about foster care, as we talk about the call of God and the conviction of Scripture, I want you all to hear me say this. God has a conviction and a calling for each of us. He has a conviction and a calling for all of us at Vintage to, because we're one family to do something in the area of foster care. Whether it's to, to do, to literally bring foster children into our home, whether it's to do respite, whether it's to bring a meal, whether it's simply to pray on an ongoing basis, right? But God's also given you a unique expression of His power, what? For the calling that you have in your individual life. And you need to figure out what that is. Because the idea is this. God has a calling and a conviction for each of us individually. He has a calling and a conviction for us as a body together. And in each of those callings and convictions, one thing is necessary. The work and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. The Holy Spirit wasn't given just to make you feel better about yourself. The Holy Spirit was given the second half of that verse today. It says, so that you can be my witnesses. Witnesses has a couple of things in mind I want to name this morning. The first is what you think of as a witness in the context of like a uh, uh, like a setting before Judge Miller, right? You have you have seen and you have been you've experienced something, and so you were then called before a judge or a court of law or front of the person to give witness or testimony to what you have seen and heard, right? If you're in a, if you if you if you're driving behind somebody and someone t-bones them and you stop to help and the person looks at you and says, "Hey, did you did you see the wreck? Did you experience it? Did you see that wreck?" And they're like, "Yes, I did. Do you mind staying and being?" Being a witness then so that you can tell the police officer what you what you saw that it's not my fault. Right. And like, yes, I will stay and I will share. I will be a witness for you before the police. officer. Thank you so much. So the idea of being a witness then in verse eight specifically then speaks about Jesus expectation for his disciples to be witnesses to the good news of Jesus. Yes, his life. And his death, and most importantly, his resurrection. So it's about what we speak, about what we have experienced, what we've heard, and what we've seen. That's the first part of witnesses. I'm going to state, I'm going to speak, and I'm going to proclaim the truth that I've experienced. But the second part of witnesses is a person who witnesses, who expresses what they believe and they know to be true by their lifestyle. By the things that they do. Because everyone hear this. It's not enough 
to just believe something and have a mental assent to something and be willing to tell somebody about it. It also has to impact your actions and your lifestyle. It's not just to say, I believe in Jesus. It's not even to say to tell people you believe in Jesus. They want to see if you're witnessing to that truth by your lifestyle. Do you remember what Jesus said about being a disciple and how the world would know? He says, and the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. There's an expression and action of your life that's a witness to what you say. Do you walk the talk? Do you walk the talk? That's the idea of James 1.27. Hey, listen, James, man, he talks. He says, listen, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He's kind of saying it's not just enough to have a mental assent about truth. It's not just enough to say, yes, foster care is important or Jesus is important or I believe in the resurrection. It's about the actions that you have in your life, the religion that God our Father accepts is love expressed in action. The reality, James would say, listen, it's not just, listen, it's not just caring for orphans and widows, but it's definitely nothing less than that, right? That the love and action that we express as witnessed in our life is something that we're doing to say, I believe in Jesus. I'm convicted by him. I am following him. I'm speaking that truth. But it's not just what I speak or what do I send to in my mind. It's also in my actions. My actions have to match up with my words. And so for us at Vintage, this specifically speaks to this reality then of us called to foster care. As a church, we have specifically embraced James's call to care for orphans in our community. We want to grow in this calling. We want to care for those in need. And hear this. We want to be witnesses. Listen, hear this. Everyone press pause on their thoughts and come back here. We want to care for those in need. We want to express and be witnesses with our words. We want the world to know and the, the good news of Jesus. Remember, it says, how can people know unless someone preaches, someone speaks, right, proclaims truth? But how many of you know that you don't listen to people who speak, whose words and actions, their actions don't match up with their words? We don't. Witnesses has these two parts. I speak it. I believe it's important. And then my actions follow suit with what I express in my life so that everyone will know that I'm a Christian. How do they know you're a Christian? Because they'll see your love for one another. And I would add, and your love for your neighbors. And so in this, we want to be those who care for those in need. And we want, listen, we want to be witnesses to the community that the church is a true and effect effective agent of change by the way that we care for the most needy. We want the world around us to know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we love others and specifically by the way that we care for orphans. We want to listen. I've been around people. Oh my gosh, you're the church who does, who does foster care. I love that. There is nothing cooler than I go to a meeting in our county with a, with a representative of something like, oh, you're the foster care church. Yes, that's who we are. 
why do you listen? Sandy could be at, Judge Miller, excuse me, could be at any one of churches this morning, right? She could be. She's here. Why? Because she knows we're on team with her. Whoever comes in afterwards, she's going to sell the name of Vintage, the upcoming justice. You need to know Vintage 242 Church. Listen, I sat with I sat with Bob Weatherford. He's running for re-election right now. I'm not going to tell you to vote for him, but he's a great guy. We sat down with him. I can't do that, right? But I love Bob. And we sat down one day. He said to me, because, you know, he says, he says, Steve, I only know two churches in my entire county. Would you because they, they're the only two that do anything that affect change in the community that I'm over. Will you please be a church that does something? And I said, don't worry, bro, we got you. All right? We have you. We got your back, man. We got it. We're doing it. We're doing foster care. We're coming alongside and caring for the most at risk in the community. We're loving our neighbors, not just with our words, but in our actions. We want to be those who do something empowered by God's Spirit. Why do you think it's so important that we're talking about the Holy Spirit? Press pause. Do you want to have a better marriage? Let's make it real practical and personal. Then you better submit yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit and let him flow. Do you want to be a better parent? Then you better let you better submit to the Holy Spirit every day. It's the Holy Spirit empower me today to be a better parent. Do you want to succeed in your job? Then you better submit yourself every day. It's the Holy Spirit empower me to, to do the best job I can today. Do you want to do ministry effectively? And when you lay hands on people, see things happen. When you share the gospel, do with people who don't know Christ. Do you want to do it in your own strength? And fail or do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and succeed, right? It's about the movement and the power of the God's grace and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Every day we submit ourselves to him. Does Judge Miller want to kill it on the bench like she's doing? She says, I'm doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm submitting myself. Do I want to succeed as a pastor? It requires the Holy Spirit. Do, I, do we want to succeed in vintage, specifically in this call and conviction to foster care? Yes, then we better submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to move. We want the community to see us loving our neighbors, loving the most at risk. We want to be witnesses in our, in our speech and in our actions. That's who we want to be. Because when we do that, when we do that, when we ask the Holy Spirit to move, he does. Things change. The world is impacted. People are drawn to Jesus. We want to do something. Randall picked up that little piece of paper earlier. It was a real simple thing, right? There are very, very practical ways for you to get involved. You picked them up several weeks ago. They're on the table outside. So you're so, this is what I'm saying. Go pick one of those up. And then say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to do one of these. Would you empower me to kill it for Jesus, right? Not kill it as in like kill it so it's terrible. I mean kill it so it's good, right? Like the kids say. Kill it, man. Let's do it. Empower the Holy Spirit. And let's kill it. Do something. You're like, I don't have time. You do. You do. We all have time. We all have energy. We all have these things to do. That we fulfill the calling and the conviction that God has. And when we do, the community takes notice. 
One of my favorite things that I've ever read, and I read it all the time, is a reminder. It was from the 4th century. I've read it before to you. I'm going to read it again. 4th century. The Roman Emperor Julian. He re- don't, don't, don't read it yet. Hear me. He regretted... Roman, this emperor, he, he, he wrote, he, says, he was regretting the progress of Christianity. He was regretting the progress of Christianity in the Roman Empire because it was pulling people from worship of Roman gods to Jesus. And he was writing and he was regretting it. And then he says this. Now you can read along with me or just follow along. He says, atheism, i.e. the Christian faith or Christianity, has been, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. And through their care for the burial of the dead. It's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, a.k.a. Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Isn't that convicting? Here's this Roman emperor who takes this little bitty sect called Christianity that never really had gotten much larger than Jerusalem during Jesus's day, right? All of a sudden, because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, all of a sudden begins to spread. And it's not just, listen, it's not just spreading because of great evangelists who are proclaiming with their words, right? Not just proclaiming with their words, Jesus He lived, he died, and he was resurrected, so you should worship him. You should fall and know their lives are expressed in action. Loving neighbors who didn't even belong to them. He says, listen, he says, who rendered, listen, who through loving service rendered to strangers. Oh my gosh, how powerful is that? How overwhelming is that to see the call and the day for them, listen, living in persecution. They were not accepted. They were living in fear of death. Talk about not having time and being overwhelming to be a follower of Christ. There's literal persecution. Julian hated them, called them atheists, called them godless Galileans, right? And looking at it going, but do you see what they do? And they're advancing. Why isn't the church advancing? Because we're too good at arguing with ourselves in Christian circles about little pieces of theology. We're really good at telling people they're terrible with our words. We're really, we're really good at saying, get saved. Jesus is great as we live hypocritical lifestyles, not expressing the fruit of the Spirit everywhere that we go so that our words have no credibility to them because they see nothing of the expression of an actual Jesus, right? Giving the best of ourselves to those that are in need. But when we do, when we say, Holy Spirit, we can't, only you, only you can help us to render service to those, God, who are in need and who are helpless. God, would you help us to, to love our neighbors, to give the best of ourselves away? Do you know what happens? People take notice. People come to Jesus. People all of a sudden are drawn. The church grows, not because you have a really cool fog and light machine, but because Jesus is present and they want something of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to do. We want to be witnesses in the full realm of the word. 
I want to ask, listen, I want to be able to ask every single one of you into the month. So do you feel and believe that you are living your life now empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and all that you're doing? I want you to be able to say yes. I want you to be able to give me examples. I want you to be able to tell me stories of how you express the fruit of the Spirit to someone or to something that didn't deserve the fruit of the Spirit. I want to hear stories about work and about your family. I want to hear stories about you engaging this difficulty of stepping outside of time with foster care at Vintage because it's our family calling. This is the family business. You're all part of Vintage. This is the family business. We all do something. This is the family business. Well, you're, like all of us are doing something. Empowered by his spirit. And all of a sudden, the Sandra Millers of the world say, thank you. Thank you. We've been giving ourselves over here. Thank you for partnering with us. So I'm just asking you, engage the Holy Spirit. Do something active in your personal calling, in your personal conviction of your daily life. And then embrace the family business of foster care advantage as our primary local outreach. And do something. And you can start with a little white sheet of paper. And that's it. And we say what happens? All of a sudden, when you begin to move and the Holy Spirit begins to flow, you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I was created for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I just want to take some time this morning first. And God, thank you for, for Sandy. Thank you for her life. Thank you for her calling. I praise you, Jesus, that uh, she'll be stepping off the bench, but her calling has not ended. In fact, now she has greater freedom to do other greater things because she's not bound by government. So I pray that you would make her golf game, golf, golf game awesome and that you would make her expression of caring for children and families that need even more powerful and give her greater influence. I thank you, Jesus, that... You bless those who are obedient. And I pray you'd bless her. I pray, Father, for us at Vintage, Lord, I'm talking about foster care this morning, and that's a true statement to, that we need to all engage and be empowered. And I pray you would help us to do that. I pray that you would take foster care to a new level this year and the upcoming years. And I pray for each person here, Lord, that you would take this morning, this challenge, this call, and you would awaken in them, God. Here's the thing, Lord. I'm asking that you would have, I want you to hear this as I pray. I pray that you would awaken them, Jesus, from this life that just primarily says no because they got too much going on to highlighting what's actually kingdom so they can say yes to it in their lives. And I pray for those, Lord, this morning, this with great sensitivity and compassion. Lord, those who are struggling this morning said, Steve, I, I can barely get out of bed this morning. I just pray for grace. I want them to feel weight this morning. I don't want them to feel condemnation this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that conviction of the Holy Spirit always ends with life and hope. Condemnation always ends with you suck and you're a terrible person. And so I pray against the you suckness in Jesus' name. And I pray this morning they would hear the conviction saying, no, there is hope in me because when my spirit flows through you, I bring life. And I bring it abundantly. And so Jesus, 
pray you to awaken us today and say, to hear you say, well done, I love you, and I will empower you. So Jesus, we give all of these things to you. We ask that you move as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I invite you to respond. We'll have ministry teams available on both sides. They're going to come forward as I'm talking. We have offering baskets available every Sunday. This is an act of worship. We have a little box back there and a giving kiosk on the iPad outside. You give as the Lord leads this morning. And thank you for that. We have communion available every Sunday. It's to remember the good news of Jesus. And not just to remember, but to receive it again as true and as active and as living in you. I invite you this morning to pray. We've got time this morning it's before the Lord to take a deep breath and say, All right, God, what's going on in my life? And I want to invite every single one of you before you leave today, if you've not already picked up that little white rectangle piece of paper on the table, one person in your family stops by and picks it up, and I'm asking you, inviting you to pray over it this week, saying, God, I can't wait to partner with you. How would you have me partner? What would you call me to do? I'll come back after a few minutes and pray. Is that you respond to the